2: What matters most? What do we need to change? It's different for everyone. You're listening to Short Black with me, Sandra Sully. Good women, great chat. If you want to know anything about technology, well, you've come to the right place. Today's guest is a tech nut who's making waves in the field of robotics, even using a teleport robot to attend events all over the world virtually. Marita Cheng, welcome to Short Black. Great to have you with us. Thanks
0: for having me, Sandra.
2: You were the Young Australian of the Year in 2012, and you're pretty much the poster girl in Australia for STEM, aren't you?
0: I've done a lot in STEM, and I've done a lot for encouraging young girls into STEM. What do you love about STEM? I think it's magic. If you create something that's new and you create a new technology that people haven't seen before, then the first time someone sees that, it is like magic. Imagine if you never had the ability to do a FaceTime call before and now, you know, you can just call anyone and, and do a FaceTime call. It's like, wow, you know, there's so many new possibilities that we couldn't have even imagined. Like, it makes life so much easier. And I think STEM just allows you to create these technologies.
2: What's your background then? Did it start with coding? Coding.
0: Yeah, when I was growing up in Cairns, I just thought we have Google where I can enter anything into the internet and find out all this information and I'm not disadvantaged. I can find out information that people in Sydney can find out or people all over the world. We're all speaking the same language over Google. And I thought if we could have computer systems run on mechanical systems, then we could have robots that help us in the physical world, that help us in our everyday lives. And I just became fascinated by that at the age of 12. And I thought. I want to do that. I want to be involved in robotics and I want to bring this technology to the world. And then I thought, I hope this robotic world doesn't take off without me. I want to be part of this robotics revolution.
2: What was it like then as a young girl growing up in Cairns with a fascination with robotics? Because you would have been kind of alone.
0: Yeah, it was all right. I mean, I think Cairns is a really great place to grow up because it's less competitive than Melbourne and Sydney. So you have a lot of time and space to grow up. I think in like Melbourne and Sydney, there's so much more to do, whereas in Cairns, there were fewer opportunities. And so when one popped up, I'd put my hand up and, and go along. It kind
2: of allows you to focus on it your dreams.
0: Yeah, it, it gives you time and space to just dream and daydream and read books and get lost in your imagination. And it gives you space to grow up and figure out what kind of person you want to be. Now,
2: the poster girl of STEM doesn't fit in my head instantly with someone that dreams and imagines and yet to achieve what you've achieved you had to marry the two.
0: Yeah I think in order to do things that really capture people's imagination you really need to think outside the box and think how can I approach this problem differently and how can I bring something new to it in a way that that people respond.
2: What was your first most exciting project?
0: Oh I built a bunch of different projects back in Cairns. So I went to the Siemens science experience when I was in grade 10, and that's when I learned how to solder. So I could start working on electronics projects and put like resistors and capacitors on printed circuit boards and make the circuit boards do things. So that was really fun, and I bought other kits and more electronic projects after that.
2: It sounds to me like a lot of this is self-taught.
0: Yeah, I I think um, definitely going to things like the semen science experience meant that I was taught different skills. And, you know, I just thought it was really cool that I now had that in my toolkit. And I thought, how else can I nourish this skill and do more with it? So
2: let's leapfrog to 2018. And you're one of 350 guests at Trinity Grammar, showcasing your expertise and your skill set in front of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. How did all that happen?
0: I guess I've been involved in the community for a long time and just been involved with lots of not-for-profits and lots of foundations and charities. And so the governor of Victoria, she knows my work and she knew that I was working on building robots, so she invited me and my team to Government House in order to showcase our robots. But
2: this robot in particular, this concept is unique and it's yours.
0: Yeah, one of the robots we showcased was a telepresence robot. We call it Teleport. And it enables people to be in multiple places at the same time. So you could be here in Sydney and have a robot in Melbourne and Brisbane. um, And that way, someone who works in an office could go to a meeting in Brisbane during the day, have lunch with someone in Sydney in person, and then in the afternoon, go and have a meeting in Melbourne. It's also useful for people with disabilities to go to school or work remotely, and also for kids with long-term illness to go to school remotely, so they don't miss out on the social aspects of schooling while they're recovering from their illness.
2: That must have really helped a lot of people.
0: Yeah, it's been uh, well received by people around Australia. People are really fascinated by the concept of being a robot and being able to be productive in multiple places simultaneously. It's been adopted by how many and where? We've been selling them all throughout Australia and we've sold over 50 robots.
2: And what are some of the stories from particularly those kids that you help in remote Australia who get to learn and connect with other students?
0: Yeah, so there's... There's lots of stories. One of them is uh, Ryan. He has one in his house. So during the day when his parents are at work, they can come in and visit him. He has a disability, so he doesn't. uh, It's very expensive for him to leave the house because he needs carers to help him get ready. So with the robot, it means his parents can just get a sense of what's happening in his home without calling or or asking him lots of questions. Like through the robot, there's the the visual aspect. So they get to see and, and just understand what's happening. What does it
2: mean to you to be able to give someone that gift?
0: It's great that people really appreciate uh, the opportunity to work with robots. To some schools around Victoria, we've been giving people deconstructed robots, and so they get to put the robots together themselves and have that experience of being the makers of their own robot. That's also been really rewarding that... People have been able to discover their own passion and their own enjoyment through robotics from the robots that my team and I have created.
2: What do you say to people who are scared of the robotic world?
0: I think that the robotic world is still not there yet. Uh, so <laughs> it, there's, still, there's still some time. I mean, robots, they're quite prevalent in a large-scale manufacturing. Uh, they're becoming more prevalent in small-scale manufacturing. But in terms of robots in the home, that's still a very difficult problem and people are still working very hard on on solving it. because uh, there's so many variables in people's homes and it's just a very difficult problem in terms of having robots recognize objects, interact with humans using natural language. I mean this even if you like taught a robot an environment, um, as soon as you put something else in the way, that robot has to relearn the environment. Uh, so it requires a lot of processing power and yeah, the robots just aren't there yet. so there's still some time before robots are in the home helping us in our everyday lives, like Rosie from the Jetsons.
2: I know, but that's what we grew up with. Yeah, I know. We see Rosie everywhere. We wonder, should we be scared of that world?
0: I think that as we're creating more of this technology, there's people who are also questioning the technology in terms of ethics and privacy. And I've just seen more and more of the questioning over the past few years. And, And so I think that's really healthy that we're looking at this from both sides to make sure that we're creating technology that's helpful and and not harmful.
2: In 2012, you were named Young Australian of the Year for demonstrating vision and leadership well beyond your years. Recognised principally as founder and the executive director of RoboGirls Global. What's RoboGirls Global?
0: So coming from Cairns, there weren't that many girls who went on to study engineering straight out of high school. There was me and two other girls out of our school of 200. But I thought, well, once I go down to Melbourne, there'll be lots of girls just as passionate about engineering as I am. And I remember in my first week of class, I saw one girl walk in with a group of guys and sit in front of me, and then after waiting for a few more minutes, the class started. And I thought, "Hang on, like every, not everyone's here. Yet. Why are you starting?" And I looked around the room, and there were maybe like five other girls at the back. It's just this lecture theater with like 200 people. And I just thought, oh, okay, I guess, I guess they were right. There aren't many girls in engineering. And then in my second year at uni, I was building a simple robot with my friends, and I approached the head of the electrical engineering department to ask for some funding. And he said he was interested in getting a group of students together to go to a school to teach year six girls robotics to get them interested in engineering. And I thought, wow, I could actually make a difference to the number of girls in my class. And I thought, if we go and teach at one school, why don't we just teach at all the schools? And so I set up a plan to make that happen. I got all my friends to write their names down in support. And I started calling schools and we started designing a robotics workshop. And in the first three weeks, we had 80 university students sign up to be part of the program. And in the first three and a half months, we taught 124 girls from five schools around Melbourne. And it just, yeah, it just grew from there.
2: So now it's taught 100,000 girls from 11 countries.
0: What a success story. Yeah, yeah, it just kept growing. Um, So after those three months, I actually went to London and studied mechanical engineering at Imperial College for a year. And while I was over there, I thought, let's set up rubber here in the UK. And so I emailed the women in engineering mailing list and said, hey, I want to start up this thing. And I had a few girls email me back. And so I said, let's meet at this time. And no one actually came to that first meeting. And so I like cried. (laughs) They needed
2: the teleport.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And then uh, um, so I set up another meeting for the next day and no one came again. And so I cried again. But then I thought, you know, I've got another six months here in the UK. I need to do something different in order to get people interested. And so for the third meeting, I I told everyone we had a fantastic first two meetings, got a lot done. So you told
2: a porky pie. I told a
0: little porky, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so at the third meeting, we had four young women show up and they went on to spearhead the organization even after I returned to Australia. And while I was over there, I also noticed that a lot of student organizations weren't just in one place, but they tended to be all across the country because it's so cheap to travel around the U.K., And I thought, oh, it'd be great if RoboGals was national in Australia, not just in Melbourne, because then we could impact even more people. And so I contacted four other universities around Australia and said, hey, come to Melbourne for three days, learn all about setting up a RoboGals chapter and then go back and... Spread the word. Exactly. And so, um, yeah, two months after I returned from the UK, we had a boot camp where we expanded to four other chapters around Australia. And, um, and it went so well that six months later I returned to the UK and we expanded to another five chapters. And that's how we've been, yeah, expanding and creating this community. And, I mean, it was, yeah, there were lots of times when it got very difficult and I wanted to quit, but we just had such a big community and so much support from the girls from the schools who wanted to participate and from the university students who wanted to participate. I just had to keep going and keep growing to give everyone opportunities
2: What's the reality about the number of young women interested in STEM in Australia?
0: I think that there's still not enough girls who are interested in STEM.
2: And why do you think that is?
0: There's a lot of reasons. I mean, some universities, they are getting more girls enrolled in in STEM courses. I think there's issues at every level. I mean, anecdotally, I still hear about girls' schools where parents are told, oh, your, your girl's are going to be safe here we don't encourage them into engineering or, or those kinds of courses and so that's that's pretty disappointing and then at later parts of the funnel I think because some of these companies where these girls think about working have so many men in upper management and have such a blokey culture or like such a masculine and like unfemale friendly culture that like even once a woman has like gone through their engineering training and and fully qualified engineer in their own right they still have to face up against discrimination and it gets hard and after a few years of doing it alone or just having like very few female friends it it gets really lonely and and they're like why why am i putting up with this
2: so it's true then there was a damning study released a short time ago a new survey of three thousand australians working in stem revealed that 66 percent of women felt their voices were devalued in work 41% experienced a sexist culture compared to 8% of men. 54% of women considered quitting their role. Pretty grim stats for those that want STEM qualifications and a real future.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty disappointing. What needs to change? I think, um, I mean, there's so many opportunities in STEM and I think that's sometimes not recognised. I mean, now that I've travelled a bit around the world and spoken to lots of women across lots of different STEM careers, I like, I see so many opportunities in STEM, whether it be like building new buildings or bridges or even in software and robotics, like there's so many opportunities. There's really great career opportunities, really financially rewarding as as well as intellectually rewarding. And I don't think that's I don't think that's spoken enough about in Australia or recognized enough in Australia. I think, yeah, role models is a very important thing. I know when I was growing up, I really looked out for role models and I, I really um, I, yeah, I really wanted to see like a female tech entrepreneur role model that I could emulate and aspire to be like. And, and I found one, the 1998 youngest friend of the year, Tan Lee. She's a tech entrepreneur uh, you know, from Melbourne. And so I've, I've loved looking at her career and looking up to her as a men- my mentor.
2: It's a really sad reality that you had to search to find a role model that you could admire and emulate.
0: Yeah, it is. It is reality, and I mean, even now, in, um I'm not a 12 year old in Cairns anymore, but still, I, I'm like, who, who are these tech female role models that I, I really want to be like? And it's really hard to find still because I think you know, women are told that they need to be, you know, amazing in their job and amazing as a mom and they're told, you know, both of these jobs are, are full-time roles and it's hard. You can't, you know.
2: Well, that's one of the reasons why we wanted to elevate you because you are a real champion in the space and you're leading the way.
0: Yeah. Do yeah. you feel the pressure of that? I mean, I try not to. I try to just focus on what do I want to do and what inspires me and what challenges me. And, and I think if you focus on the other stuff, it gets a bit overwhelming. <laughs> so I just try and focus on, you know, what's in front of me and, and how can I do the best with what I've got.
2: Have you had to deal with any misogyny or sexism through your career? And if so, how did you deal with it?
0: I think I've definitely been very aware of it, especially around the, the Me Too media a couple of years ago, around the tech industry, that uh, there were stories that came out. And, and I think in the tech industry, it's, it's when men who are in positions of power are kind of ignorant of their own power and, and use that position to take advantage of a woman who has who was less power. Yeah, I was really glad that those stories came out. It meant that the public could be outraged rightfully about what was happening and I think, yeah, the men were more aware and and hence less likely to do that kind of thing uh, moving forward. What do you say
2: to young women in STEM who are confronted with those barriers and want to know how you did it? What piece of advice do you give to them?
0: Uh, I say that there are companies out there who do make an effort to encourage women who do encourage their employees to sponsor young women and to mentor young women. And you should look for companies that have those kind of programs because it shows that they are willing to listen, they are willing to take a stance, and they have been trying to put measures in place in order to make the workplace friendlier towards young women. And I think that companies that do take these initiatives do get higher numbers of women interested in in working there, and, and they benefit from that ultimately.
2: you've moved across to America and you share your time between there and Australia. What was that move like to Silicon Valley for you from a girl from Cairns to the tech guru HQ of the universe?
0: I spent a lot of time there beforehand. Every few months I'd go and get to know the place more and build up my network there. It's been great. It kind of feels like the trip that I made when I was 17 and I moved from Cairns to Melbourne.
2: So you finished in Melbourne with a Bachelor of Engineering, a Bachelor of Computer Science. Yeah. You can speak English, Cantonese and Japanese. And then you set up a robotics company called Albot, helping people in their everyday lives.
0: In my final year at university, I, uh, so actually while I was youngest round of the year, I thought, oh, I don't want to just tell girls that they can do anything with engineering and with robotics. I want to show girls that they can do anything they want with robotics and engineering. And so I found a new CEO to replace me at RoboGals, and then I stepped down, and then I started a robotics company. What sorts of people have backed you? First person that backed us it was actually like the head of the electrical engineering department. I said to him, this is my plan. We're going to reach all these girls, teach them robotics. Could you help us with the transportation? <laughs> like, could you just pay for our public transportation? And he said, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> that was pretty good. Small steps. Yeah, exactly. And then I think, like, within a year of starting up RoboGals, there was a grant at the university, and we applied and got, like, two or $3,000, and we bought our own set of, like, seven robots or something so that we could go out and teach the girls robotics with our own set of robots and not have to borrow them from the university. After that, when I decided that I wanted to run that boot camp for the girls all around Australia, I wrote off a budget... I think I needed like $5,000 or something in order to run the boot camp. I I created like a sponsorship prospectus and I I emailed it to people and yeah, one one person like got back to us the very next day and he was like, yes, I'd like to donate. And you were off. But yeah, and then we were off and building it one step at a time.
2: So our bot is the telepresence robot designed for kids with cancer to virtually attend school and people with disabilities to attend work. Yeah. That must be enormously satisfying.
0: Yeah, it's definitely very satisfying when people use our robot and they get value from it. Yeah, we have robots all over Australia and yeah, it's great to hear their feedback.
2: Tell me the process of getting you to Silicon Valley. You're a pretty big deal over there.
0: Oh, I, I don't think I am. <laughs> you know, Silicon Valley, it, it really does feel like the, the cancer Melbourne step again. There's a lot of stuff going on there and, and there's a lot of people. And How do you
2: cut through then? How do you get hurt?
0: You know, I think you just got to do your own thing. Yeah, you gotta not follow everyone else and what they did. You you've gotta think, okay, well what what do I have to say? What's my message? Who do I wanna be? And you just create that for yourself.
2: So then you go on to create an app, a smartphone
0: app. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So that was in twenty fifteen when I got into Singularity University. It's quite kind of a weird name because it's not a university and you don't learn about the singularity. So they had this program called the Graduate Studies Programme.
2: And what Singularity?
0: singularity is uh when computers can process information faster than the human brain and people predict that will happen by about 2045 and at that point because you know computers will be smarter than humans they'll be able to create things in the world
2: no wonder i didn't know what it was
0: yeah (laughs) so this course it's all about impacting a billion people within the next 10 years and so you learn about the latest technologies in order to do that. So you learn about the latest in AI, latest in medicine, latest in space, latest in uh, nanotechnology, and you learn about problems such as like waste, finance, water, food, pollution. We are given 150 lectures over seven weeks, and then we are told, now you have three weeks to create a project that impacts the lives of a billion people within the next 10 years. And so my team and I, we thought about all the lectures that we saw and we thought about computers being able to recognise objects in images so you could have a photo of, like, a dog catching a Frisbee and it will say dog and Frisbee. We just thought that was amazing. So we thought, why don't we put that in a phone so that blind people would be able to know what they're looking at without having the ability to see. What was the app called? It's called iPoly Vision. Once we decided that, I started calling all the blind organisations in the Bay Area just to get some feedback that was on a Thursday, Friday. And then I said, I really want to meet with you. So we arranged to meet with them all on the Monday, Tuesday. And over the weekend, we built the app and they loved it.
2: Um, Is that normal just to go home over a weekend to build an app?
0: Well, it, I mean, this was at Singularity University. So all right,
2: so you had extra help.
0: Yeah, exactly. So they, they kind of um, they fed you. We stayed in dorms at NASA.
2: So it's pretty intensive.
0: Yeah, it's pretty intensive. And each day at Singularity was You wake up at 7 a.m. and then you go to sleep at 2 a.m. at night because it's just all these lectures all day and group activities and hackathons. This
2: is the biggest.
0: It's like nerd camp. Yeah, it's like. At NASA. Yeah, yeah. It's held at NASA. It was really crazy.
2: So since 2016, that app's been downloaded more than half a million times and translated into 23 languages.
0: Yeah, that's right. It's been really successful. Yeah, it just had a huge reception because all these blind people were using it and You could just see their faces light up, that they were able to know what was in a painting on the wall. I remember we had this meeting, and this man said, ''Oh, I know that there's a painting on the wall, because there's a frame, I can feel it, but I've never asked anyone what's in that frame.'' And he used our app, and he, he was like, ''Oh, this is great, I get to do things on my own and have that independence and have that autonomy.'' And we found that blind schools around the world loved using it, especially the girls, because they could go into a bathroom and they could close the door and they would know where the basin was and where the toilet was and where the wastebasket was and they would be able to know that without using their hands to figure it out and so they, they would have a much more hygienic experience in the bathroom.
2: You forget, don't you, that so many of the simplest of things for blind people are so difficult. I yeah. mean, you take it as a given, but you've been able to flesh out that detail to lighten their load so significantly. Every great idea in tech can be brilliant in its own bubble, but it doesn't go anywhere unless you can get investors and support. Yeah, definitely. Are the backers in Silicon Valley real?
0: Yeah, there is a lot of money in Silicon Valley. There's a lot of money in the Bay Area.
2: Who, who have you won over?
0: So with my robotics company, I actually I actually bootstrapped it.
2: Okay, wow. Yeah. That's so, tough.
0: Yeah, we funded it using like grants and sales. Yeah, that was interesting. And I think by being in the Bay Area, what I've realised is that people there, they want you to think big. And so whatever you tell them, they're kind of expecting you to add another zero to the end in terms of your growth and your rate of growth and how many people you want to impact. And it's a real mindset shift. Like over there, it's go big or go home. It's also
2: be pretty daunting.
0: I think when I first went there, it was a bit, it was daunting because I feel like in Australia, it's more oh, don't fail, don't look bad, everything you do has to be good and if it doesn't, if it's, if it's not a huge success then like that's, that's shameful in Australia.
2: In Silicon Valley, in California, it's all about impact.
0: Yeah, pretty much. In California it's have an idea, validate it as quickly as possible, raise as much money as you can so that you can make it as big as you can and then everyone wins.
2: Have you managed to get in front of the right people, do you think?
0: I think I think Silicon Valley is a small place. And so, if what you're doing is really interesting, then an investor will say, Yeah, here's some money. I believe in you. I want to back you.
2: It's an ideas factory, isn't
0: it? It is. It is. I think everyone there understands startups, everyone just understands it, that ecosystem.
2: What percentage of your life is in Silicon Valley and the other percentage is here?
0: I'm like 75% of my time in Silicon Valley at the moment and 25% here.
2: It must be lovely to be cradled in that think tank of like-minded souls
0: it's it's pretty it's pretty amazing yeah people there are very very ambitious and very smart and very i mean they they create the technology that we use around the world and it's it's kind of mind-boggling honestly
2: i know everyone says it doesn't exist the right brain left brain but for those who think i just don't get maths or i'm not a science person The reality is applications in STEM are everywhere in life. We all benefit from those applications, don't we?
0: Oh, definitely. I think whether you're left brain or right brain inclined, I think it's just about creating things, really. And, I mean, technology is just an enabler for you to create your art or, you know, communicate with more people around Australia and around the world. Yeah, I think if you embrace technology, it just means that you're creating new avenues to connect and be productive.
2: In terms of a star Starcross moment, other than Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, you, of course, appeared alongside Ashton Kutcher at the Lenovo's Tech My Way conference. What was that like?
0: Oh, well, actually, so with Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, I was actually in San Francisco at the time, and so I actually met them via robot. And my team were there in real life, and they, they got to shake Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's hand, but I was just there by a robot looking at them and grinning cheesily at them and, um, yeah, and demonstrating the technology. So that was pretty cool and Kutcher, yeah, he was great. We, we got to have a one-on-one chat for about 15 minutes where we just spoke about different technologies. He's into it, isn't he? he yeah, he is. He's an investor, and I think he invested in Uber, so he, he did really well out of that. Yeah, he's just very passionate about technology. And all through your career,
2: and, you know, you're, you're still very young, where does the social conscience come in? Because it's pretty strong.
0: Yeah, I think that if you want to have an impact, then you need to connect people and... And, yeah, a lot of these technologies, like when I was building the robots, I thought, you know, who would benefit the most from this kind of technology? And I thought, well, people with disabilities, people with long-term illness. Again, with, yeah, the computer vision and the AI, it was who could benefit the most from this kind of technology in this form. Where's
2: the best country in the world to be a young woman with an engineering robotics STEM dream?
0: I think something that Silicon Valley has going for it is it has the investors there you know, people who've done well out of other companies or been early employees at Google and, or Microsoft and got really rich. People who've like built the technology, acquired wealth through that, who invest back into the ecosystem in Silicon Valley. You don't have that in Australia. You don't have that anywhere else in the world. That
2: dynamic environment. That- yeah,
0: the, the money. You don't, have, yeah, you don't have the money invested in tech. It's because those people, they're like, I understand tech. I built tech. I got rich off tech. I'm going to invest in tech again. You know, you don't have that here in, in Australia. The other thing is just that kind of person who's built that tech before. They're comfortable investing in it again. They know it's a risk, but they're like, you know, I've done it. And you've got people who've built these systems. So they, they're like, I know how to build on top of that system in order to create even more value for the world. You don't have that kind of knowledge anywhere else in the world. So you kind of need to be there. Yeah, to so get ahead. It, it is great for that. It, but it's, it's really competitive. It's really competitive.
2: Do you have to pinch yourself from time to time and say, yeah, that's right, I'm a girl from Cairns, from Margaret Parents, who grew up in North Queensland and, wow, I'm starting the world stage and sharing my time between California and Oz?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think, like, definitely in the few years after Young Australian, I would sometimes, like, wake up and think, oh, like, when I was growing up as a teenager, I'd turn on the telly and I'd see the Young Australian of the Year Award be announced and I'd always think, oh, that person's so amazing and they're so inspirational and, wow... And then I would think to myself, oh, my gosh, that was me, yay. Like, it's it's just really surreal. Yeah, even now I think, wow, I'm very, very lucky and and privileged that I get to create these technologies and have this contribution to the world. So I feel very, very lucky that I get to do what I get to do. Where do
2: you see yourself in Barbie's time?
0: Yeah, I see myself continuing to do a lot of speaking and um, advocacy for women in science, technology, engineering and maths. And doing what I'm doing, but like on more of a global platform than I am now.
2: we well, are a charming, impressive young woman, Marita Cheng. We wish you the best of luck. Thanks for spending some time. Oh, thanks with for us having me, Sandra. At, it's at Short Black. really cool to hang out with you. <laughs> you have been listening to Short Black, a Ten News first podcast for Ten speaks. To make sure you don't miss any of our great chats, subscribe in your favourite podcast app.
0: Hey,
1: when you've got a moment, check out some of our 10 Speaks podcasts.
2: Short Black with me,
1: Sandra Sully. Hammered Home with me, Baz Dubois. I'm Matt Burke, and you've been listening to 10 Speaks Rugby Podcast. I am The Hack, I'm Hugh Rimminson, and with me is the Professor Peter Van Onselen. You're looking splendidly relaxed, Peter. Have you missed me? Next time you're looking for a podcast, head to your favourite podcast player and search 10 Speaks. And give us a five-star rating review while you're there. G'day, I'm Barry Dubois. If you've heard my name, you probably know me as that bloke off the living room. Believe it or not, there's a little bit more to me than just that. For 35 years, I've worked in design, construction and real estate. And during that time, I bought, renovated and sold about $150 million worth of real estate while running my own property development business. And then I threw it all in at 45 to retire and sail around the world. There's no doubt about it, life has been a hell of a journey so far and I've learned a few things along the way. Things about homes and families that I want to share with you. If you listen to this podcast, I reckon you're going to learn a little bit about design.
2: All sorts of styles works. It used to be that it was a very um, raw space where people didn't put as much effort in but now they're really focused on even making it more like a hotel.
1: You'll learn about sustainability. Anything you can do to reduce those leaks, whether it's seals on your windows and doors or caulking up the gaps beneath your skirting boards, those kind of things to reduce how much of that airflow flows in and out is going to have a big impact. And also, I want to share a bit about my personal philosophies on life, if you indulge me, of course. Joining us on the journey will be industry insiders, gurus, and interesting people from all walks of life. So I had a pet penguin. No way. Yeah, so he was a penguin that had washed ashore. To check that he was ready to go back into the into the ocean, we used to put him into the swimming pool. And he'd swim around the swimming pool, but he was so fast you couldn't get him out, so we'd have to get in there with a the pool scoop, and, and that was my job to swim around and try to catch him eventually. <laughs> but if he was fast enough, then it was a sign he was ready to go back to the wild. So hit that subscribe button and join me and my friends on Hammer at Home with Barry Dubois.